The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. It's 20 to 10 and you are with SAFM. Now, if you've ever watched uh, the TV series, the uh, thriller and drama Prime Suspect, then you may wonder... Is it true to fact? Does it align with what, in fact, detectives have to do? Well, now Prime Suspect is uh, being created as a true crime series, the real Prime Suspect. So who is the real Prime Suspect? And who is the uh, detective from Prime Suspect based on? Well, she's a former Scotland Yard detective and an inspiration for the character of DCI Jane Tennyson. Her name is Jackie Moulton, and she originally was the UK television script consultant. Now, of course, She's presenting the real prime suspect. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Michelle. Thank you for asking me. Sure. Jackie, 25 years as a detective. And I suppose um, one of the things we have to ask is how close to reality is something like prime suspect? Like when you watch it, do you feel... Obviously, as uh, someone who's been supporting it and advising, but do you feel, oh, this is quite close to the truth? No, definitely. Um, if that was down to the research by the writer Linda Leplant, Prime Suspect first came out in 1991, so many, many years ago now. And of course, you know, detective work and where women were in the police is totally different to where they are today, all these years later. But Linda Leplant, um, I saw her probably, oh, maybe, well, over a period of about six months. You know, sometimes weekly, sometimes bi-weekly. And then she would just talk to me and I would tell her stories. I told her about my life. She never took a note. She never wrote one thing down. And then eventually she started to go to script and the script uh, kind of developed in a way that we had discussed. I wasn't just me that she researched with. Um, I got her to speak to other detectives to give a kind of balanced view, if you like. Uh, we took her to a murder incident room. We took her to the forensic science laboratory. We gave her as much kind of around the police station that she could talk to anybody. We gave her as much as we possibly could. Of course, Prime Suspect of Fiction is not a documentary, but one of the good things about it is its authenticity, and that's yeah. probably the thing that I'm most proud of. You know, Jackie, you mentioned it up front, how much things have changed for women, and I have... Uh, uh, listened to an interview with you where you speak about your early days as a female detective, the challenges, the issues. I mean, you even mentioned that uh, at one point your nickname was The Tart, which uh, it really does leave one feeling quite cold. And I wondered um, how far those differences have gone, some of those challenges as a woman in the early days. No, today in the police service in the, in the UK, it's completely different. And I think one of the things it's important always to say, Michelle, is that it's, it's, uh, the police service acted, in fact, it was called the police force, and the police force acted, you know, in relation to the rest of society. It wasn't out on a kind of desert island yeah. operating on its own. Um, you know, the, the police service is made up of human beings that existed at that period of time, like I did. And what it was about attitudes to society then. So... I've said this many times, and um, and it's true, that when I joined the police, it was obviously considered of mainly white males. Women were very, very few and far between. Integration didn't start and sort of sexual discrimination after 1975. Um, it was completely, you know, heterosexual, white, I call it white male and heterosexual. Very few uh, people from black and minority ethnic groups. 
Um, very few women and run by kind of white men on that kind of old school system, if you, if you see what I mean, because like recruits like. And then that started to change. I think one of the things that I'm really other proud of about Prime Suspect is it started, you know, it did challenge the organisation. And I know that the organisation or people within the organisation felt quite uncomfortable when they saw it. Hmm. And, you know, a visual representation of yeah. the story. Uh, was was impactful. So it's a fantastic way of uh, looking at how the role of creativity, the role of the arts and entertainment, can be used to demonstrate uh, true life stories. Oh, absolutely. And again, going back to that, you know, authenticity of the character uh, DCI Tennyson. Now, I have. You know, my life did change after Prime Suspect in so many ways for me, and it gave me a little bit of a media profile and ability to, you know, like, this, like, like kind of be given a series for the real Prime Suspect. But in those intervening years, there were many hundreds of women, uh, and I mean hundreds, have contacted me and validated my experience because of their own experience. It wasn't just me giving a story which other people didn't resonate with. There were many, many, many women that resonated, you know, with that story. And that, again, was a, was about, although, you know, invalidation has to come from yourself, it's an internal validation. You know, when I contributed in the way that I did to Prime Suspect, there was a sense within me that I had betrayed the organisation, if that makes sense, hmm. yeah. uh, in such a visual way. But wow. the women that contacted me thereafter kind of, <laughs> it wasn't an external validation yeah. and I remember the producer saying to me um, uh, uh, one day you know the beginning there and he said he'd shown you know he'd shown a script to other police officers male police officers actually who didn't you know just said they, they didn't agree with it and I think they were highly nervous about this going out and about how the public responded to it and everything else so I think that was a concern because obviously Linda Leplant had spoken to me but and yeah. other, of, other officers as well. But you know what? The male officers really enjoyed that programme too and congratulated me. So it was a whole balancing. It wasn't just the women that liked it. There were police officers uh, that really did like it. So, Jackie, um, you, you're quite public about the fact that you're a recovering alcoholic. And yes. I wondered if... A lot of that is related to the work, the kind of the work. I mean, A, the pressure, but B, the the feeling of constant responsibility if you do not catch the criminal, if it is a murder, if you do not catch the murder. How how Talk to us about that relationship between alcoholism and also the kind of work that being a detective is. Yeah, I'm not... Um I, I think, you know, alcoholism is a complex. It's a, it, it, it is a kind of, people call it an illness. I don't believe it's a disease at all, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a complex uh, issue, alcoholism. Yeah. And it's a combination of lots of things that were kind of, in a way, that were going out in, in my life. So I was openly gay in the police. I was the only openly gay police officer. I also spoke against a police officer that was um, corrupt who, in, the, in the 80s who went to prison. I was a feeler, and I want to talk about that because I was a feeler, which meant that I, you know, felt my emotions kind of quite strongly. And equally, I was the boss. Now, hmm. you see on a daily basis things that affect 
that are really not nice. You know, murders, um, you talk to people who've lost loved ones, all sorts of things you can imagine that one deals with in the police. And I felt it. Now, you cannot, that's an incongruence because you yeah. are the boss. So what, what doesn't really matter if you're the boss or you're not. It's irrelevant. But I felt it. Now, that incongruence was that you could never, ever, ever express any form of emotion uh, within the police service. Now, and mental health is a massive issue in the police today where there, uh, you know, there's police care that we put it on the table, that we discuss it and we open it, openly talk about it. In our days, we went down to the pub and stuffed it down. Now, I'm not going to blame, you know, I'm the alcoholic, I have plenty of other colleagues, yeah. thousands in the police that didn't end up as an alcoholic, but I did. Now, that feeling, that incongruence, was something that, I, that really chewed me up, that I would feel... Um, I don't know, I just kind of was feeling it. And, and I think uh, that's, again, that incongruence of, of doing something, doing the job, not feeling, not expressing, et cetera, et cetera, or being allowed to express yourself yeah. openly. And also that validation, because I was a fighter was as well within the police. And what I mean about that, I challenged the organisation, but you wanted to be liked for it at the same time. Yeah. And the organisation isn't going to like you for challenging them. And part of it, was wanting to be like a sense of belonging you know never underestimate the power of an institution if you like it's very very strong you know tribal to belong <sighs> to be part of and then you go against it and yeah. you're not like that and i wanted them to like me so that external validation came in a little bit so there was this you know there was this feeling that i was really you know at dis-ease with my own skin i felt really uncomfortable with myself, but equally, I knew that there was something, you know, that I betrayed my own soul many times, and I knew there was something greater and bigger inside of me. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous in um, 1992. I still go, not because I need a drink, but because um, it's about thinking, it's about behaviours, emotions, perceptions, distortion, all sorts of things. Um, and I haven't had a drink for 27 and a half years, and it is the best thing that I have. And they and, and one of the things was massive for me, Michelle, was shame. I had so much shame. Well... Okay, Jackie, unfortunately we have about a minute left because we have to go to a break. And so I've got two questions and you can choose whichever one you want to answer. You talk about feelings and being a feeler. And so I suppose one wants to know uh, what is the difference between instinct and skill for a uh, a detective? And then are there any cold cases? Is there one that got away that you to this day still think... Well, the second one I'm going to talk about is a little uh, a case, actually, that I'm still looking at now. It's a little boy that went missing on World Wedding Day in 1981 called Vishal Mahotra, and he was um, eight years of age, and he'd been with his parents to the royal wedding, um, and he came home, and in fact, the nanny uh, was taking him home, and uh, anyway, she saw him across the road because he didn't want to go into the sweet shop, and on that day, in 1981, World Wedding Day, he was smashed from the streets in London. Never, and he was found six months later in, um, in, in a copse in a, about 60 miles away. And whoever did that to Vishal has never been found. And I've kept in touch with the father. In fact, I'm helping him now um, to kind of re-go over some of the evidence. You know, it's a long shot, but he said to me, yeah, only the other day, you know, Jackie, I'm getting older. I haven't got much time left. Can you do your best? And um, oh. 
Well, yeah. there's a little team of us ex-detectives are looking at that for him. Jackie Moulton, she is the real prime suspect and you can catch her as the presenter of the series, The Real Prime Suspect. Series 1 and 2 is airing at 4 o'clock today, Saturday the 29th, in the special Real Prime Suspect weekend on DSTV 170 is the channel. And what a fascinating story it offers to be because uh, you thought uh, you knew it all when you watched um, Prime Suspect, but now you get to understand who is the character that um, Detective Tennyson, Jane Tennyson, DCI Jane Tennyson is based on. Well, she's based on none other than former Scotland Yard detective Jackie Moulton, and you can catch her in The Real Prime Suspect.